0: welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is the message I gave on Sunday morning, January 7th, 2024, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9. Good morning, everybody. Okay, um, we're going to start with something very, very basic. So no matter if you've been in church every Sunday of your life or if this is your first time going to one, we're all going to start on the same page. Whenever you hold a Bible, you are holding a book, but at the exact same time, you're actually in a way holding a library. It's a whole library of books. It's a big collection of a lot of smaller books. It's divided into a couple of sections. We call them the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was the ancient Hebrew scriptures. There, it was the Bible that Jesus would have heard, read, and read himself at synagogue. And then we have what's called the New Testament. And that's the story of Jesus. It starts out with four accounts of the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then it goes on to tell how... People came to believe in him and how the church grew and started and spread. And then there are all these letters back and forth from from believers to other believers as the church continued to grow and spread. And what we're going to look at is something that happens that's really neat in those first four accounts, those four accounts that we call gospels of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Twenty times in those four accounts, Jesus said two words These two words were an invitation, but they were also a challenge. For anybody that said yes, it was going to be a pivot point in their life. And those words were, follow me. 20 times in four books, Jesus said two words, follow me. In other words, wherever you were going in your life, whatever your path or your direction was, that's over now. Now you're going to get behind me and we're going where I'm going. Whatever kind of influenced you to see the world the way that you've always seen it, to think about issues the way that you've always thought about them, I'm inviting you into something different from that. To leave all of that behind and now to see the world the way that I'm telling you to see it. To see issues and your own life and your own self and your own heart and your relationships the way I'm telling you to. Follow me. And some people said yes. And some people made excuses and said no and walked away. For anybody who said yes, this was a volcanic interruption into whatever their life was beforehand. So what I'd like to do is look at, these, at some of these times that Jesus said, follow me, and kind of ask some questions. One, what's at stake in saying yes to following Jesus? Two, what does it take to actually do it, to actually follow him? And then when you do, what happens in your life, what happens to you? Okay, we're going to start with um, today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter nine. Now, the story that we're going to look at takes place actually three in three of the different of the four gospel accounts. So, it happens in the Gospel of Matthew. It happens in the Gospel of Mark, and in the Gospel of Luke. So, that's three of the twenty right here in this one little story. But before we look at it, I've got a couple of questions, and I need your help. This is crowd participation. Okay. So this is, need you to not be shy. Don't worry about that. Okay. Um, when are some times or occasions in your life where you want to dress up to look your best? Church. A Church. A, A wedding. A date. Nice. What else? A red lobster. Red lobster. In all of my preparation for this morning, that never occurred to me. That somebody's like, I'm going to the Red Lobster. I'm going to dress for success. That's fantastic. (laughs) Those cheesy muffins deserve my best outfit. Great. Anybody else? Uh, Time where you would dress up to look your best. Wow, job interview, like six of you at once. Great. A similar thing would be like a presentation, right, if you're going to give a presentation. Okay, so. Weddings, dates, job interviews, presentations, church, red lobster, apparently. (laughs) These are times where you want to make a good impression, right? These are times where you want people to have a good impression of you. There are also times where maybe pictures will be taken, maybe posts will be shared. Those are times when people usually want to look their best. Okay, Similar question, a little different vibe. When are times or occasions where you want your house to look its best? What, what was that? Companies coming over. Thanksgiving. You're selling it. You're selling it. Wow. that's cr- What? Oh, okay. So Connie, if the in-laws are coming from Ireland, yes, certainly. If somebody is coming from Ireland. Okay, yes. Okay, so we want the house to look its best when there are people coming over. When we want somebody to actually buy the thing, um, if we're selling it, all those are really good. Again, you want to make a good impression. You don't want to feel embarrassed, all that. Okay, this one is not crowd participation. This is one for you to think about, okay? I want you to just think about the face of the first person that comes into your mind when I ask you this question Who is somebody that you can just be yourself with? You don't have to have makeup or your nicest clothes or the house in order. You can just be you. Some of you are probably thinking about your best friend or your spouse or um, maybe not your in-laws from Ireland, but yeah, yeah, siblings, maybe somebody like that. Okay, let's hold all of that, just hold all that on the shelf as we look at Matthew chapter nine together. Okay, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can follow along with me. If not, I'll read it to you. This is Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay. This is a great old tradition that we used to do some here. And we heard, um, um, I just thought of it this week and thought we might bring it back up. But when I I get done reading the scripture, I'm going to say that's the word of God for the people of God. And then you guys say, thanks be to God. Isn't that great? Okay, so he got up and followed him. That's the word of God for the people of God. God. I love it. Okay, great. This is a fantastic scene, okay? And I, speaking of impressing people, I am so impressed with this dude, Matthew. And, and, and in case you don't know, this is the guy being described in this story is the very person who wrote this account of Jesus, the gospel of Matthew. This is the author telling his own story. It's very, very interesting. But what impressed me the most about Matthew is Jesus looks at this guy and and gives this invitation, this challenge, this pivot point, this volcanic interruption into the life of this person. He says, follow me. And Matthew doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't want to see a list of terms and conditions that apply. He doesn't make a pros and cons list. He doesn't call a counselor. He doesn't do anything. He, in fact, he doesn't say any words. In fact, we have no account of Matthew ever saying any words in all of the four Gospels. we got a lot of words that John said to people. We've got a lot of words that we've got some words that Philip and Nathaniel and some that Andrew said. We've got a lot of words from Peter. Um, but we have no words ever from Matthew. And this is one of the he says, follow me. And Matthew just gets up and follows him, leaves his whole old life behind. And by the way, he was a tax collector and which meant that he was going to be leaving a very secure job that where he made good money that he was not going to be able to get back. And he left it without giving Herod or Caesar a two weeks notice without figuring out any severance or anything like that. He just got up and left. How did he do it? How could he do that without even saying words or asking questions? Okay, I think in order to answer that somewhat, we need to get to know this guy a little bit better. Like I told you, this is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. The only information that we have about him here is that he was a tax collector. And when Mark and Luke tell this story, they don't even use the name Matthew. They use the name that he was given at his birth by his parents, Levi, That's what he was originally called. At a certain point, he got this nickname, Matthew. It means the gift of God. I was reading one guy this week. He is convinced, I mean, it's a supposition, but he's convinced that Jesus gave him the nickname, the gift of God, which would be really, really cool. Jesus was nicknaming people a lot. So that actually tracks, that could be the deal here. But when Mark tells this story and when Luke tells this story, they say, Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi and said to him, follow me. When Matthew told his own story, I don't know if you caught it, he said, Jesus saw a man. He saw a person. Yes, he was sitting at a tax collector's booth, but there was more to him than that, And don't you guys think that it's very often in our lives that we take people and reduce them down to one thing about them, and then that's just who they are? Does that happen? That's what we do. We reduce people down to one thing that we either love about them or hate about them or judge them for, and there's so much more about them. People hated tax collectors because, if you don't know, this region where where we are, Israel-Palestine at this time, was under the control of the Roman Empire. So they were an oppressed people with this army that kind of swept in and took over, and they said, you can have your religion, you can have your villages, you can have your synagogues and your schools and all that kind of stuff, but you have to pay us for everything, and the way that they enforced that was that they had these jackbooted soldiers with their spears and their swords, and they made sure that all the taxes were paid. Now, they would hire a local person because the local people knew the relationships, knew the people, knew the, knew the villages and the, and the families and the businesses and all that stuff. And they would offer them this job. You get the taxes. You need to get this much from each person or each business or each family or whatever. Whatever you can squeeze out of them after that, you can keep for yourself. So how do you think the rest of God's people felt about these tax collectors? They hated them and they hated them as traitors. That this was like a treasonous thing to do to your own people. It's like you've abandoned your people. You've turned your back on your history. You have scorned your traditions to become wealthy And everybody boiled this guy down to this one thing. He's a tax collector. He hates his people. He scorns his traditions and his history. And Matthew said, no, Jesus saw a man. There was more to him than that. Here's something that we know about this guy. The more time that you spend in his gospel, what you'll find is I don't think that he hated his people at all. I don't know how he became a tax collector. I don't know what that story was. I don't know if it was something where he had to get this job or what. I I don't know the story there. But I don't think that you could read the Gospel of Matthew for very long and come away with the impression that this guy hated his people or scorned his traditions or his history. You see, Matthew, everybody that wrote books in the little library that we call the New Testament. Everybody that wrote the books and letters in this collection quoted from the Old Testament scriptures, from from the old Hebrew Bible. But Matthew quotes a ton of the Hebrew Bible. He quotes more than Mark. He quotes more than Luke. He quotes more than John. In fact, he quotes more than all three of them combined, over 90 times he has either a direct quotation or a really close allusion to some piece of the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them like crazy. It would, it would be hard to assume if you see how much he knew about the scriptures that he didn't love them. He was more complicated than that. You can't just boil this guy down to a hated traitor, even though that's how people felt about him. He loved those scriptures. He knew them. And so all of a sudden, he's in in this, this town called Capernaum in Galilee. And all of a sudden, people are starting to say some rumors about a man who's on the scene saying things that nobody's ever said and doing things that not only no one's ever done, but nobody else could ever do. Somebody that's working miracles and healing diseases and caring about people that nobody else ever cared about started hearing whispers that were growing that he was not only healing and caring and teaching our people like God's people, but he was also teaching and caring about and healing outsiders that he would go off into other, into other towns and other lands where people weren't even Israelites and he was taking care of them. And I've got to believe that a guy that knew the scriptures as well as Matthew did is constantly making little connections to like, oh yeah, well, Abraham was told when he was given the promise of the Messiah, because people are starting to say, could this be the Messiah? Abraham was told that he wasn't just going to be a blessing to his family. He was going to be a blessing to the whole world. In the, in the prophecy of Isaiah, when, when we're prophesying the coming of the Messiah King, he said he was going to come, he was going to honor Galilee of the nations, of the foreigners because he cares because the the lord's heart cares about foreigners that the lord cares about the childless about the widow he cares about the poor and the oppressed later in the prophecy of isaiah that he would say that 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 god has put it on my heart to preach good news to the poor and and freedom for the captives and the year of the lord's favor and he's thinking about i've got to believe he's thinking about scriptures about this coming messiah who was going to come for everybody and love the poor and the oppressed and then he's hearing Hearing stories about Jesus in Capernaum, caring about the poor and the oppressed and the outsider and the outcast. And he's thinking, could this be him? But but wait a minute, Matthew, you're not poor and oppressed. You're probably wealthy. And by the way, you work for the oppressor. So, like, why would you be getting fired up about it? Why would you have a place if he is the Messiah and he is coming? to, to make people his own and to start this whole deal, start the kingdom of God getting kicked off. Why would he want you? You're not poor or oppressed. You work for the oppressor. You're making us more poor. And then I think about other scriptures that Matthew knew about and was aware of. Because, again, not only did he quote the the Old Testament a ton, he quoted from every part of the Old Testament, all the sections of it. He knew this book, and so I have to believe that he knew about places where God would talk about the way sin feels to him. When human beings are traitorous, and when they do screw up their own story and do screw up their own life, the way that it feels to him, It feels like treason, and it feels like being a traitor, and it feels like being cheated on. It felt to to God's heart like adultery. Like in the, there's an Old Testament prophecy called Hosea, where God talks about how human sin feels like that. It feels like treason, and it feels like adultery, and it feels like getting cheated on, and how it hurts his heart, and how it's just so hard to deal with. He's like, I've just got to get rid of y'all. You can't even be my family. You have screwed up this relationship so much. And then... Everything changes. There's a place in Hosea chapter 11 where God, like, changes his mind. He's like, You know what? I can't throw you away. He says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I let you go, Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me, and all my compassion is aroused. I will not act out on my fierce anger and I will not devastate Ephraim anymore because I am God and not a man. I am the Holy One among you. And what if Matthew's going, I'm hearing all these stories about this guy and he's doing things that no one could do and he's saying things that nobody else could ever say and he cares about people no one else cares about. Just like the scriptures always said the Messiah would. Cares about outsiders and the poor and the oppressed. But what about people like me? What about traitors? Oh yeah, his heart is changed within him even for people who screw their own life up. Even for people who have made a gigantic mess of their life. And what if he would want me? When Mark tells this story, he says that, that Jesus had been teaching out on the water. He had been preaching out on the water, and people, like, he's in boats, and people are on the shore listening to it. And that's where Matthew's, like, one of, where one of his little tax-collecting booths was because people would go and fish, these businessmen, and then he would tax the fish before they even made it to the marketplace. So he's right there, and Jesus has been teaching, and he's coming in, and he walks straight up to Matthew, and he says, follow me. And I'm thinking, Matthew's going... I knew it. I knew it. Yes, you love, you love the poor and you love the oppressed, but you also love people who screwed their own story up and have made a giant mess of it because your heart changed within you and all your compassion is aroused and you want me. And he doesn't even have to ask any questions or think about it. He just goes, baby, just goes with him. And then look what the, the very first thing that happens when Matthew starts to follow Jesus While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, this is the very next thing. He says, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew's first reaction is, I'm inviting you over to my house. I'm going to throw the doors wide open. You get a VIP backstage pass into every piece of my life, including all my old friends Every relationship I've ever had, they're going to be like a parade in front of your face. I am opening the doors wide on my entire life. I'm not hiding any of it from you. You get to be in every room. Come on in. It's the very first thing he did. A dinner party and everybody I know, including all my old messed up relationships and everybody that's just like me. If you want me, I've got some people you need to meet. And by the way, here's every door in my life wide open to you. How did he do that? I mean, they just met. You know, I was asking you guys earlier, um, who's the person that comes to mind first when you think about somebody that you don't have to dress up your life for, somebody that you don't have to put on any airs for, you don't have to be nice and made up or anything. They just get to know you and your raggedy, shabby self. Every, they get to know everything. And probably most of you thought about a spouse or a, a best friend or maybe a sibling or somebody like that. But I was thinking this week, you know who else has access to your life like that? Who gets to know like everything They ask you a question and you have to be honest about it. And you don't even have to have a great relationship with this person. You might not even like them. It's your doctor. (laughs) You might not even like your doctor. But when they ask you how much have you been exercising, you got to tell the truth. Nobody else gets to ask me how much I'm exercising. Thank you very much. Mind your own business. But if my doctor asks me how much I'm exercising, I have to answer it. How much are you drinking? How's your sleep going? All those things. How, is your, how, how are your relationships at work? How's your attitude been towards your family? All of these things. In fact, doctors, they will pull blood right out of your body. And they'll put it in machines. And then they will tell you things you don't even know about your life. <laughs> they get to know everything. I mean, doctor, it's like, yeah. I, I don't even have to be best friends with you. And somehow this human being has the right to say, take your pants off. (laughs) Climb up on that butcher paper like a sandwich in a deli. You got to do it. Doctor gets VIP access. And here's the deal. You might feel modest. And you might feel modest and a little embarrassed when the doctor says that. You know who doesn't? The doctor. They've seen it all. He or she has seen it all. They're not embarrassed. They're not, they don't feel modest or shy or anything like that. Krista's back there nodding her head. Yep, we've seen it all. We don't care. We're just here to help. We're not embarrassed. We're here to help. Okay, let's finish this story, guys. ho oh, it's about to get good. All right, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, this is the religious leaders who were in charge of everybody's religious life. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, so he enters the conversation now, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the place in scripture where Jesus tells us that he is a physician. He's a doctor. You can trust him with every room and corner and secret and motive and sin and problem in your life because he loves the poor and the oppressed and the childless, the fatherless. And he also loves sinners and he loves people that are traitors and who have screwed up their story. You don't have to be embarrassed in front of him. He's seen it all and he's come for people that are giant sinners like me. Amen and so i can trust him with my story and i can fling wide every door what does it mean to follow him it means to invite him into every room and nook and cranny in your heart and give him full access let him have let him have a say in every conversation in every relationship debrief with him after you hang out with everybody you hang out with in the morning if you've had weird dreams and you don't know what that means Talk to him about him. Invite him into every space. Start today. Don't wait. You go to the restroom, you're washing your hands, and your head is all full of all kinds of crazy stuff. Just invite him into the conversation. Jesus, I don't even know what I'm thinking about right now. Would you please bring some clarity, or just please just come in. Just come into this whirling swirl of ridiculousness that is my brain. You are invited and welcome into every last space. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and thank you for the example of Matthew. No questions, no words, no terms and conditions need apply. He just got up and went with you because he knew more than most, I need a doctor. I need healing and I need help. And I think you're here to help me. I think you love the heart of the traitor and the heart of the screw up. Lord, help us to trust you so that we can open more and more doors and rooms and hidden places and secrets from our heart up to you this year. It's
1: in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I must admit I have my doubts. You will love me at my core. To my boss, my friends, my spouse, there are standards I have swore. I know this burning home needs a douse I'm amazed at what I can't ignore Before I let you save this house Let me clean it a little more All you want is all the access To things I claim to hate but love And all the inner turmoil I'm so ashamed of In every secret holding place where pain as poisons glow I hear you sweetly whisper, my dear I know Please let me in and let it go I know I have a million things I've left scattered on the floor A barrier of sufferings I've used to block up every door I know you already know everything Let me pretend a little more That I don't really need anything Anyone, anywhere, oh my lord All you want is all the access To things I claim to hate but love And all the inner turmoil I'm so ashamed of In every secret holding place where pain as poisons glow I hear you sweetly whisper, my dear I know Please let me in let it go Okay, I'm ready On the count of three Wait, one more Comment first Can I just say I find it baffling You only love me At my worst I know you mean No harm to me You're a healer And there's a curse and desperation has made me see Your living water There's a thirst All you want is all the access To things I claim to hate but love And all the inner turmoil I'm so ashamed of In every secret halting place where Pain as poisons glow I hear you sweetly whisper My dear, I know Please let me in Please let me in Please let me in in. And let it go